This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Since this pandemic was declared by the World Health Organization and we began to change a number of things that we do in our world, there have been all of those things that you just can't do. You just can't. You can't have a kissing booth fundraiser. Just no, not right now. I don't even know if you can do that outside a pandemic anymore. I doubt it. I don't think you should try that. Don't bring that up in a brainstorm, even though there are no bad ideas in brainstorming. That's one that, yeah, it, it'll get you not asked back to the next brainstorming, so just leave that. There are other things that are doable, but they are challenging. And from the outset, we have had some challenges with public transportation in every single city on this planet. And it's been difficult to deal with, okay, how do we ensure safety? And it's also been difficult to deal with the fact that to ensure safety, front-end loading is something that, that could not be done. Therefore, fares could not be collected, and yet you still had to run public transportation. So let's piece that together. You're not bringing in any money, but you still have to run what is a very costly service. Oh, well, how is that going to work? Exactly. Well, we have an opportunity to talk a little bit about what has been and what is about to be all over again when it comes to public transportation in the City of London. Please welcome to London Live the General Manager of the London Transit Commission, Kelly Polechny. Kelly, thank you so much for taking some time for us today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Could you ever have sat down with a blank piece of paper been asked to write, okay, name the most challenging thing you could ever deal with in transit and possibly come up with what you have gone through in the last few months? Um, I think no. No is the short answer for sure. (laughs) (laughs) It has been incredibly challenging. And in dealing with this, looking back, what kind of comes to mind as being some of those things that will will stand out either, either good or bad through this entire process? Um, you know, your, your, your synopsis at, at the start there was, was perfect. I mean, we, we feel like, I mean, we've had many conversations here that we feel like things are changing on a daily basis. We no sooner, you know, adapt to what we heard yesterday and now there's new information out and we're changing the way we do things tomorrow. And that, that seems to be the way it's been going for, for the last number of months. And, and quite honestly, you know, we, we've learned, I think, over the period to adapt more quickly and, and roll with the punches. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, what we've continued to say is our focus has been on providing a safe service, and that means safe for both our employees and our passengers. But we also recognize that it's an essential service for a lot of Londoners. And, and as you said, we needed to continue to provide it and, and find a way to do so. So, you know, we've, we've done the best. I, I can honestly say I believe we've, we've all done the best we, we could, and that goes for every employee here at London Transit. I'm, I'm proud of the way the employees have have responded through this period and continued to provide that valuable service. And, yes, we've made mistakes. Um, you know, I, I, I think I, it would be difficult for anybody to say there's, they haven't made mistakes throughout this period or, or had to adjust things, um, you know, based on new information. But, you know, we, we continue to do the best we can and, you know, onward and upward. Kelly Pileshny joining us, General Manager of London Transit. 
are we approaching the finish line of, of what has been a really challenging time and maybe the start line of what will be something different with front door boarding and collection affairs returning on Wednesday, tomorrow? Um, we, we certainly hope so. I mean, I, I think this, this certainly is a, a step in the right direction to returning to what, you know, what people thought of as normal with respect to public transit, you know, back to the front door boarding and, and fare collection. We certainly acknowledge that, you know, it's, it's going to take time for our ridership to come back completely. We know that, you know, there will certainly be impacts from the student ridership depending on what happens with schools you know, how much is online, how much is in class, that type of thing. So it's going to be, a, you know, a constantly evolving situation, but I think this is a really good step forward in, in getting us back to a more normal, you know, a, a more normal operation. As we hear on a pretty regular basis, the virus hasn't gone away. Uh, exactly how is this now to a point where you can return to front door boarding? So we will, um, by, by next Wednesday when we launch this, we will have um, enough buses for the, for the daily service equipped with uh, plexiglass barriers or full glass barriers. There's, there's two models that are in place. We've had to, to stage it just due to supply issues um, between the operator and the passengers, and that coupled with the fact that masks are mandatory, um, you know, gives us the assurances that, that, um, you know, that everybody will be safe. When we talk about masks being mandatory, we've got a lot of places where they are mandatory. How is is that going as far as drivers are concerned? What are you hearing from them in, in terms of how passengers are, are dealing with that? Um, you know what? We're hearing mixed reviews. I mean, we've certainly seen a, a huge increase. In, in people wearing masks when the when public health issued the instructions and the orders associated with it, which were then followed by the bylaw. Um, it, people ask all the time, you know, how are you measuring compliance? It's very difficult to measure compliance when there's an exemption that is broad in nature, you know, such that it's anyone with a medical condition and they don't need to disclose what that medical condition is. So, um, you know, essentially what we've instructed our drivers to do is remind people of the expectation. There's onboard signage all over the buses. There's external announcements reminding people that masks are mandatory, but not to challenge people if they're not wearing a mask and not to ask them why. If they're not wearing a mask, we're, we'll, we'll take it that they understand what the expectations are and that they believe they have an exemption if they're not wearing a mask. Kelly Palachny, General Manager of London Transit, joining us. Kelly, if, if we picture anything that deals with uh, an income as a, a hose if you've got income so something water running through that hose it runs through the hose if that's shut off for a little while the water will continue to run through the hose and then it'll eventually trickle out the end and just because you turn the hose back on at one end doesn't mean you're instantly getting water at the other so you've had a real trickle effect if not a, a stop of that flow of money coming in from fare collection how exactly do you do you get through this next phase where things may be still trickling you, you don't have that full flow but you still need that money to continue to operate yes yeah, so again that's i mean we we certainly don't expect things to to return to absolute normal immediately even even if we just look at our ridership numbers we're sitting at probably around 60% of what we would normally expect at this time of year so even if even if that continued, we would still be short revenue based on, you know, on our budget projections. So, so you're right. I mean, certainly, 
certainly that water will start to flow, but not at the not not at the capacity that we had projected when we when we did our 2020 budget. We did have some fortunate news from senior levels of government uh, about a month ago with respect to um, funding that they will be providing specific to public transit to offset the COVID-related costs uh, throughout 2020. So we we don't know what our exact allocation is here in London yet. We're hoping to find that out in the coming days, but but we're anticipating that it will be adequate to cover off the shortfalls for 2020 and then moving on to 2021. And we will be um, going to the commission at the end of this month with a revised 2021 budget based on projections, you know, given what we're seeing now and what we anticipate the impacts will be on our ridership and then the associated revenue. Front door boarding and collection affairs resumes tomorrow. Just a couple of other things, Kelly, and that would be some of the things that are in place or not quite in place. Monthly passes not available for August. We know that. How about tickets and and how we actually pay for a fare on London Transit? What do we have to know? So we'll be accepting tickets in cash, as as we always have. Um, the majority of our vendors throughout the city who had who had sold tickets prior to to us stopping fares have been stocking up, and they will have tickets available. So you know, I would suggest people go to where they where they usually went to purchase fares. The other option is anybody with a smart card um, could load stored value, which essentially works the same as a ticket. They could just load value on their smart card and tap that, and it will just deduct a ticket fare each time they ride. Okay. And this is all in place for any trips on London Transit starting tomorrow? No, sorry, starting August 19th. Or sorry, so, yeah, starting yeah. August 19th. That's right. Okay. That's right. Excellent. And there's yeah, fur- there's yeah further- I should say that. <laughs> There's further details with respect to, um, you know, the lo- various locations where smart cards can be revalued in the hours of operation. All of that is on our website. Okay, excellent. So things resume. I know I said tomorrow. Yeah, I, w- I was thinking Wednesday. I'm, I'm excited by only 33 new cases in Ontario today. So That was yeah, very, very exciting. <laughs> it, yes, and very exciting to know that we are going to be able to get front door boarding and collection affairs because as much as people may have said, hey, but it's been fun to ride for free. Uh, yeah, but at the same time, you want to be able to ride forever. And let's remember, this is a service and this is the way that things go. So off we go to next Wednesday, August 19th. Fares will be collected, so we have until then to make sure that everything is uh, is all set to go. We really appreciate the time, Kelly. Thanks so much for everything, and uh, keep up the great work. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's Kelly Pelechny, General Manager of London Transit. So, yeah, next Wednesday. i got to remember, today's only the, what is today, the 11th? The 11th? Today's the 11th. So next Wednesday, fares will be collected and front door boarding returns to London Transit. And remember, no monthly passes again available for August. And until the end of the month, if you still have stored value on a smart card, you can use that. But tickets and cash, they'll be available where you normally purchase them. And good news to hear that, you know, the extra funding that will come in from other levels of government will be able to cover the shortfall, carry London Transit into next year. Because, you know, a lot of things get experimented with in transit. And we've we've talked before about things like, well, what if we made it completely free? Yeah, okay, 
you you could do that, but you still have to have a stream to pay for what it costs to run a transit service. If that's coming from a city, then it's coming from a city. If that is coming from another level of government, that's where it's coming from. But you still have to have that stream to pay for it. And in this case, you know, I don't think that conversation is quite going to be on the table for the next little while. Although we did get a look at what happens when that hose shuts off and that fare collection stops and the buildup of cost that accumulates. And uh, it's one that you do need some help getting through. They've kept the service going. And I think that's the one thing we've got to look back at and say, Wow, you know, that's uh, that took some doing in itself. So London Transit able to keep going, and now in a week we'll be able to collect fares. And as much as the ridership may still be down, we'll get students back, but we're not going to see those big overloads of buses heading to Fanshawe or heading to Western simply because even though a lot of students are coming back, they're continuing to take stuff online, and it'll depend how things go. And, again, remember – Masks are mandatory, and as much as you might be able to say, yeah, I can get around wearing a mask, I don't like wearing one, I just say, I have a medical condition, I don't even have to say what it is. Okay, you you win. Congratulations. Fantastic for you. Uh, But if it's not true, if it's true, fine, leave it that way. But if it's not true, and you're just doing it so you don't have to wear a mask, uh, look around, start counting those people in Ontario again. You like this place? You you like people? Uh, Do it for them. So that's kind of the way things are sitting in London transit. Let's talk a little bit about the NHL. It starts round one of the playoffs today. No, it doesn't. That started a week ago. Nope, that was the qualifying round. And now it's round one. Count with us. Greg Brady is with... Global News Radio, 640 Toronto, and joins us. Uh, Greg, have you ever done any big, long road trips where you get in the car and don't stop driving for days? Uh, what You're giving me PTSD from some of these OHL road trips. Like, I know you're still on the buses, <laughs> but I have I have eight nightmares a year that, uh, you know, the bus is quiet, it's after a bad loss, nobody's allowed to put a terrible movie on. I mean, you and I should have a podcast where we rank the terrible movies that we've seen in our combined like 28 years on OHL buses, like teenagers have no taste. This is this is apparent, obvious. It's, it's observable to everybody. How many times have you seen Joe Dirt? Uh, how many times? Too many, or how many? Like, is that <laughs> twice? I, I think um, twice is too many for Joe Dirt. I'm trying to think, and and but then now and then, now and then, there'd be a kid that would be like, you'd walk past him on the way back, and he'd be like, "What are you listening to?" And he'd be like. Led Zeppelin four or who's next or he go he'd be like I'm gonna put on the Godfather part two and I'm like you're my favorite player I'm gonna be so nice to you on the radio tomorrow even if you play nine minutes and give the puck away eleven times and your Corsi rating is abysmal because I won't mention that on the air in 2004 those kids are those kids I want to adopt them as my own as my own children but I do think that contravenes the broadcaster uh, player uh, you know it's like a Hippocratic oath you can't do stuff like that. No, no, definitely not. No. What you also can't do is drop the ping pong ball that has the New York Rangers logo <laughs> and then have that pop out of whatever that vacuum cylinder was and have people not say the word fixed. What did you make of last night? I know I don't personally believe this thing was fixed. I don't think that was a heavier ball, although Roberto Luongo's tweet hit the spot at the moment. But what did you make of what we saw last night? Did they have to do it that way? 
No, no. It, it, and it was a little, yeah, they were able to, to utilize other draft lotteries without the ping pong balls, and we, we end up trusting them. Like, again, if you could fix the draft, if you could fix the draft lottery, you know, Mike, we've got a laundry list of players that don't go where your Connor McDavid is not going to Edmonton. He's not, not at that particular point after the Oilers had had all those particular, uh, all those particular picks. Aaron Eckblatt's not going to play in Sunrise, Florida in front of 8,000 people a night. So you can find better ways to do it than that. But yeah, I, uh, you know, there's that Patrick Ewing controversy because the envelope was apparently frozen. Was that ping pong ball like, stored in a freezer and so it was cold and when it touched the guy's fingertips he just couldn't hang on to it like like you get an ice cube and and it ends up on your finger i don't know but i'm happy for the rangers look they've never they've never had a number one overall pick i found that remarkable and they were they've been right up there a couple years uh they haven't had a lot of success sometimes when they've drafted in the top 10 i think the great question mike is who's this guy going to be Who's, who's he going to be? Is he going to be Nathan McKinnon? Is he going to take a while and, and still maybe not reach the height like a Ryan Nugent Hopkins? We just we have, we have fixed number one to guys, and you know as well as I know, some draft classes are, are much, much deeper than others. And, and yeah, you're, you're going to have your Patrick Steffens, you're going to have your Alexander Diggs, but I don't see any way Lafreniere is not, not an impact player and, and not an impact player very, very quickly. I, it sounds a lot more like Nathan McKinnon than it does uh, a, a Nugent Hopkins, or obviously a Nail Yakupov, put it that way. Greg Brady joining us from Global News Radio 640 Toronto as we talk some hockey, some draft lottery. Let's talk about the impact of the Leafs' loss. For Leaf fans, it is a massive crater. You you would take a while to hike down to the bottom of it, but overall, how big is this impact? Does it does it change the future of the team, or is it just one of those things in one of those years that they chalk up and say, "Stay the course"? Well, I was thinking when the playoffs started, and I, and I won't lie, I'm I'm not sure, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners can relate. We didn't know how into it we'd be. We didn't know how we'd feel. I still feel sometimes watching an NBA game that it's got that sort of preseason-ish feel to it, and I'm, I'm right there with baseball. Right now, I'm struggling. I don't have to get into Major League Baseball, so I'm not. I'm watching Champions League soccer because it matters more. I'm watching the NHL because it feels like there's more intensity. But I was surprised. I was surprised by in- the intensity of all the series, and this would be great that starts today. But I'll say this for, for Maple Leaf fans. I think they're well aware um, that th- they were. I think they were. They were talking a good game. Like it's impossible to evaluate. They've been out for five months. It's a. It's a coin flip series. It's a. Uh, and every game felt like a coin flip. But the larger picture, Mike, is um, th- there's a lot of pressure on this team when they come back, whether there's fans in the building or not, whether there's 50 games, 60 game season, uh, because so many critics of what they've built. And they tend to be the older guard. I've never seen a, a sort of an old guard versus new guard, almost like an, the analytics darlings versus the, hey, your fourth line's got to be a bunch of Coke machines and they got to hit the top, uh, you know, they, they got to they you know, play, you know, plug, uh, they got to be plugs on that line, but just hit everything in sight. So that divide is already there. And the, that chasm has widened with what's happened here because there are the four players, Austin Matthews, John Tavares, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, and, and making $40 million out of, a, out of an 80, no one else does that. And I'll tell you the other thing, Mike, that's uh, I think really concerning, 
Um, and, and that I think it's finally come around to the people that, that are, were just absolute Kyle Dubas, Dubas disciples. Everything he does touches the gold. Hey, does he drive to work or, or does he fly? Is he one of the apostles? Can he levitate? You ask all those questions about Kyle Dubas, and now you see a scenario where you're questioning how he built the team. And, Mike, you run into cap trouble. You're supposed to run into cap trouble. You know this with teams that have already won or teams that have almost touched winning. And you got to be the Chicago Blackhawks, and you can't keep everybody. So you got to get rid of a Dustin Bufflin and a and a, a Christopher Stieg and all these guys, or you got to be the LA Kings. So you got to be what the Red Wings were, um, even after they came back after the cap, and not be able to keep all their star players. Mike, who who ends up in salary cap hell? That's never won a playoff round and goes out in the first round four seasons in a row, and they don't have much financial room to maneuver. And it's a weird thing to say. If you called another GM right now, if you did, and he won't, Dubas won't do this with this player, and said, how's about looking at a trade for Mitch Marner? They'd laugh at you because it would reek of desperation. I don't want them to trade Mitch Marner, and I don't think yet they should trade Mitch Marner. But they've got, they've got a pickle with those four contracts, and they know it. And Morgan Riley, let me say this as well. Morgan Riley's going to come knocking on the door after the next two seasons and say, how's $63 million for seven years sound? What? You don't have it. You paid the other four guys. I'm leaving. And that's exactly what he'll say. And I don't know how they fit him. And you think that defense is lousy now as a group. Wait till Morgan Riley leaves at age 28. Greg Brady joining us from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. And if you bring up the Chicago Blackhawks, if you put the Leafs overlay over top of the Blackhawks path and you make Austin Matthews, Patrick Kane, and you make Mitch Marner, Jonathan Taves, then the Leafs would have had to win the Stanley Cup, not this year, but last year to match what the Blackhawks did. That's when they won the Stanley Cup in their rebuild. And now you've got the Leafs looking three years away from that. And, yeah, like you say, salary cap hell. Before we get on to the other yeah. series, and, and we'll just touch on what you find interesting in those, in goal for the Toronto Maple Leafs, what do you do in goal? It's not like there's a, a superstar stud waiting in the wings or in the system. Do you ride Frederick Anderson or do you start looking around? I think you're really in no man's land, and and I'm not the biggest. Uh, I'm not a big Anderson detractor, but I've I've been accused of that. But I I've always worried about the mental makeup in the huge moments. And I'm sorry, his elimination games. Um, there's no NHL goalie in a key moment like that that should let that second goal in. I'd say the same for that first one in Boston uh, last year in Game Seven. So the tricky part is. Leafs fans were spoiled, and they know that they were. You go from a few years of Felix Potvin to a bunch of years of Curtis Joseph to the last couple good years of Ed Belfour before the, before the lockout year, and that you knew what you were getting, night in, night out. Your guy might not be the best, but they're not going to crap out. And I don't know that that confidence – I think a lot of fans want to be right. They want to be proven. They, they want to be, um, you know, be verified in their opinion of Frederick Anderson – but I, this, this isn't a bad goalie, but I think he reminds me of an NFL quarterback where you're going to be 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, and seven every year, and that quarterback is not bad enough. Jay Cutler played for the Chicago Bears forever. Tony Romo with the Dallas Cowboys. They're not bad enough to kick out the door and, and start from scratch, and you're not going to be 3-13 and 13 with them, so you can't draft the Deshaun Watsons and Patrick Mahomes. But what do you do? I ride it out, Mike. I don't think they'd get good value right now. But I, I don't have an eye to extending this guy at 32 years of age. I, I think we've seen his best hockey. And Jack Campbell, you you watched Jack Campbell in the O, Mike, more than I did. I saw him a bit in the AHL when uh, the Stars affiliate would come into Toronto because I was fascinated with him, Windsor Spitfire. 
and and but Jack Campbell, fans wouldn't know this. Jack Campbell's not 22, 23. This has been a long build for Jack Campbell, Mike, to even get flirt with a starting role. He's 28 years old, and I, and I think you ask most Leaf fans, they think he's six, seven years younger than Freddie Anderson. That's the problem. He isn't. So I don't know where they can turn after Freddie Anderson, but it's probably in a different direction. All right, round one begins today. Last round, the qualifying round, people tried to say, hey, if you got to get groceries or clean the fridge or whatever you have to cut the grass, Arizona-Nashville, that's your series to miss. And it ended up being really good, actually. Now, when you look at this next round, is there a series or maybe a couple of series that, that kind of catch your eye and you say, that's must-watch. I have to see what happens there. Well, I, I think Tampa Columbus has intrigue as well. That That's a rough one for Leaf fans. I get it. Uh, nobody wants to watch the team that just eliminated you uh, step right in. Uh, you know, the, the Bruins were tough to watch for the Leafs the last two years. So I, I just don't think it can be the same result. And yet Tampa's got a brace for, for no Victor Hedman, obviously, in game one or the first few games of this series. And, and where you'd have travel time before, Mike, to recover from an injury you do not hear. So they're going to, these games are coming fast and furious and, and there's a back to back in each series. So I love the idea of Tampa Columbus today at three o'clock in the, in the, uh, you know, in the East, I'm really interested in Montreal Philly because we know the Canadians were sellers at the deadline, traded Kovalchuk thinking that, you know, they're thinking again, is Mark Bergevin on, uh, you know, in hot water on thin ice, whatever expression you want to use, but I'm still not sure about Philly. I know a lot of people that fear the flyers, and I think the only reason to fear them is Carter Hart. They've got that goalie finally that they didn't have uh, in the mid-90s. They didn't have in the 2000s. They've got the best goalie they've had since Ron Hextall, and he's going to be good. He might be the next Carey Price. I don't know that he can have Carey Price's resume, Mike, but this is a guy that I think has is the closest guy. If someone's going to be Carey Price in the next decade, it's going to be Carter Hart. So I've got some Philly Montreal intrigue for sure. Excellent. Well, we'll look to see what happens in the next little while. Greg, thank you for all this insight. Really appreciate the time. Pleasure, man. Love talking to hockey with you, Mike. Take care. We'll do it again. That is Greg Brady. He is with Global News Radio 640 Toronto. 10.37 p.m. Wednesday, August 14th, 2019. It's a time, a date that you don't necessarily remember. Unless, of course, you were affected by the old East Village explosion. One year ago Friday, it took place at 10.37 p.m. That's when emergency crews were called. They arrived immediately, and the explosion was recorded about 10.51. And some lives have been altered to the point that they have not gone back to the way that they were some will never go back to the way that they were someone who was so directly involved in this is chris patterson and chris right now we find him at work at powerhouse brewing company and he had just come home from work on that day august the 14th of 2019 chris thanks for taking some time for us today (laughs) <laughs> no problem. First off, how you doing? Uh, doing good. It's uh, you know, we had to go back to the uh the old chalkboard and uh write up a new plan for uh me and uh my partner. Uh but uh we're we're uh battling through. 
events like this, they, they stay pretty clear in your memory. How clear are the events of you being in your living room, you know, having a nice relaxed drink with your partner, your friends, and then all of a sudden there was a big bang outside? Uh, I would say it was pretty vivid, um, though the entire night was kind of blurry. But uh, you do kind of uh, notice when you have to do something like that. You went outside, you see a car in a house. I mean, how do you process something like that? Um, you know, in the moment, uh, you don't, um, I, I would say. It was more um, just adrenaline. Uh, and you just do what you personally think is uh, necessary, uh, I suppose. Well, you did that, and, and you got another person to safety with the help of some other neighbors, and that in itself is, is pretty miraculous and, and pretty heroic and pretty wild in all of this. Now, in the months that have followed, does anything go back to normal or are you still dealing with a lot of things that had that night gone differently you wouldn't be dealing with well if that if that night had gone uh differently i uh, would have appreciated that however um yeah we we are still dealing with it um me and my partner are going to um build on the same land uh we're lucky enough that we got um a good building crew, which is doing most of the houses that have been affected, which is uh, very positive because we'd like to um, not stand out, <laughs> even though they are century homes and <laughs> they will be slightly different than the other ones. But uh, it's been not a positive uh, experience, I'd say, but it's like, the people that we're dealing with are very good, and um, even with the like the character of people that we've been around, um, and like everyone in the neighborhood is very nice to us, and we have to deal with a couple things with the city, but everything seems like it's going on a positive track. Hey, that's that's at least good to hear. We're talking with Chris Patterson who lives on Woodman Avenue and was affected in so many ways by the explosion in Old East Village. Now, is the goal to kind of try and build a similar house to the one that you had, or, or do you look at a different plan? How do you even handle that? Uh, we are trying to build uh, like as close as possible um, because they were, and like this is everyone, not just me, um, they were century homes. It's going to be difficult, borderline impossible to like uh, build a facade <laughs> in that way. Um, however, we've asked like the builders to try to, you know, convey the neighborhood and make it so that <laughs> our house is um, you know, reflect Old East Village. What has the last year been like in terms of finding places to stay? I mean, we can't even imagine if somebody said, okay, you're living in your house, now all of a sudden you can't even go back into your house. Uh, what has that been like? Where have you gone? Um, when it first happened, uh, I was lucky, well, lucky enough 
to uh, have parents in London. So uh, we moved back there. Um, so that was, that was, that was fun at, uh, you know, 30 years old, moving back into your parents. Uh, Did you have to live under their rules? Uh, well, <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure you know my father, Dean Patterson, correct? <laughs> oh, yeah. Very well. Uh, okay. Well, then uh, I'd also like to point out that I beat him, Dean Patterson and Sam Patterson, on the Eagle Lake Classic last weekend. <clears throat> but moving back in with your parents at 30 is uh, never enjoyable. Um, we went to uh, a different house after that uh, that we did not like, and we're in um, another place now that we're renting. But, yeah, we're bouncing around from place to place because of, uh, through no one's fault, but, like, you know, COVID has slowed everything down. Yeah, no doubt. We're talking with Chris Patterson. Chris right now is at Powerhouse Brewing Company at work, had just come home from work, and unfortunately the events unfolded as they did. Just a, a couple more things, Chris, and, and that would be simply, you know, the, the emotional toll that this takes. Is it still a draining ordeal, or do you finally get to a point where you go, okay, you know, this happened, but but we've reached a, kind of an acceptance of it. Does that even arrive? Um, it hasn't yet. Hopefully, uh, once we get back into our place, it will. Uh, but both me and my partner we have triggers which go off uh, like you know even hearing sirens and stuff like that it uh it's definitely draining i won't lie about that yeah we talked with sarah merritt who's the president of the old east village community association she said still for some people thunderstorms uh big claps of thunder i mean those those are are things that will be triggers and and will be difficult to deal with how about for you is a thunderstorm something that still is is tough to hear uh absolutely i have to deal with a lot of like loud noises at work so it's probably not that but i definitely uh get sparked up when uh there's sirens on and right now where we're living like we live fairly close to the uh the cop shop so uh we get we get a lot of sirens and yeah that uh doesn't feel great well it's it's at least good to know that things are progressing i mean they're they're not completed um do you have a timeline as to to when this might you know, all be hopefully behind you, or or is COVID nineteen affecting that in a big way as well? Yeah, COVID's really affecting it, and like we have to obviously, you know, bend to their rules at this point. So we're yeah, we're kind of on the fence right now. Uh, so yeah, no no full timeline <laughs> anymore. Well, Chris, uh, you know, we're all really sorry for the fact that you've had to go through all of this, but we really appreciate the time and updating us as to where you are. You've always had a great outlook, and uh, sounds like that outlook is continuing. So thanks so much for the time. You keep safe. Thank you, man. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. And I think I am a caramazic dude, so you have a good one, too. <laughs> Take care. That's Chris Patterson. Chris's house had to be demolished because of the old East Village explosion. And if you missed the story that we told about an hour ago, Chris is a really modest guy. I mean, he's he's just a good guy. And when he heard that bang and he walked out, you know, he didn't say the part where 
he could see someone in that vehicle and got a brick or a rock or whatever it was and broke the driver's side window and was able to get the driver out and you know the the cuts and scrapes on his hands were you know were wild to look at i mean his his hands were were just you know cut and scraped everywhere you looked in trying to get somebody out of a vehicle because there was concern for a number of different things i mean as that was happening i don't even think they knew that that there was a potential for an explosion and yet that's what happened just moments later and they were able to to get at least to safety enough that that explosion did not cause any deaths i mean you look back and you know you name a neighborhood blow up a house in that neighborhood and guarantee that there will not be anyone who dies in that explosion how difficult would that be and we still have devastation in that area and as chris points out you've still got a lot of you know covid-19 related slowdowns and you will for a while and the hope is to kind of reconstruct the houses to as close as they were and that will never you know these are century old homes that will never come in exact but they just want to get back to their house you just you just want to get back to normal life you know imagine all the things that are not normal in our life right now and then imagine having to try and deal with the fact that you are already trying to get back to a normal life and there are a number of people in old east village that are going through that exact feeling right now you've been listening to the london live podcast catch the show live on weekdays from one to three